1 Corinthians chapter 7. Uh, It's on page 1148. And if you've been around for the last few weeks, you'll know that we have been working our way through 1 Corinthians, and in particular this chunk of 1 Corinthians, which has had a lot to say on the subject of sex and relationships and marriage. You may be glad or disappointed, I'm not sure, to know this is the last sermon on that subject in uh, 1 Corinthians. Not the last sermon on that subject ever, but, but for the time being. Um, so this is the last time we're going to turn to this subject. And as I've said many times, I think this has raised lots of questions. This is why we're going to have a question time afterwards. Because my guess is there may be all sorts of things that are buzzing around your mind going, yeah, but what if, what if, what if? And I want us to have a chance to ask those questions uh, honestly and openly. So afterwards, even as I'm talking now, if you have questions that come up in your mind, scribble them down. We're going to have time to do that back uh, over over dinner um, later on. We won't spend ages doing that, about 20 minutes. But it'd be great to have some questions and to really work at it together. But we're going to have a look at 1 Corinthians 7. I'm going to pray, and, uh, and then I invite you to pray with me, and then we're going to look at God's Word together. Heavenly Father... We've been singing these truths, but we want you now to help us to listen to your word. Father, please, please teach us, we pray, in Jesus' name. Amen. Great, the plan today is um, to do it's quite a lot we need to cover today. Um, but we're going to start with a bit in the middle and then look at the two outsides. Basically, Paul talks to people who are married, then there's a bit in the middle, and then he talks to people who are single. So that's the way we're going to do it this afternoon. Um, if... You may be sitting there going, oh, well, I've only got to listen to half this sermon. Well, a third of it. Because you're, you're either married or you're single. Well, let me just say to you, if you're single, um, it is not impossible that one day you'll be married. And if you are married, it is not impossible that one day you'll be single. So this is relevant to all of us, right? This is relevant to all of us. And therefore, we want to listen. And not only that, we want to help each other. We want to love each other. We want to be kind to each other and help each other to be a church family. So we're going to start. I'm going to read verses 17 to 24 to start us off. Okay, 17 to 24. And we're going to look at a basic principle uh, in the middle of um, this, this chapter. This is the thing I want us to get our heads around. I'm going to spend some time explaining this. And then we'll look at the stuff to apply that principle to the married and to the unmarried. Right, here we go. Verse 17. Nevertheless... Each person should live as a believer in whatever situation the Lord has assigned to them, just as God has called them. This is the rule I lay down in all the churches. Was a man already circumcised when he was called, he should not become uncircumcised. Was a man uncircumcised when he was called, he should not be circumcised. Circumcision is nothing, and uncircumcision is nothing. Keeping God's commands is what counts. Each person should remain in the situation they were in when God called them. Were you a slave when you were called? Don't let it trouble you. Although if you can gain your freedom, do so. For the one who was a slave when called to faith in the Lord is the Lord's free person. Similarly, the one who was free when called is Christ's slave. You were bought at a price. Do not become slaves of human beings. Brothers and sisters, each person as responsible to God should remain in the situation they were in when God called them. Man, that raises a lot of questions before we even start, doesn't it? Aren't there things in there that you're going, what? Why would he say that? That's what I want us to try and unpick. Because although that section hasn't got a lot to do with sex and marriage, it then applies out to those issues. That's what we're going to do. 
And I think it's a fairly clear experience of most of us in living our lives that we experience envy or discontent. We look at others and we think, I wish I had what they had. This happens when you go to a restaurant, doesn't it? This is why when you go to a restaurant, it's always safer to order the same as the people you're with. Because that way you could, seriously, plate envy, the desire for what is on their plate rather than your plate, is an overwhelming and powerful thing. It's a fear that I live my life. You know, the food all comes out, it's terrific, piled high, then they bring yours. And you're like, what is that? Anyway. And, and that, that basic principle, I think, happens a lot in our lives. We look at others and think, I wish I had what they want, had. I wish I had what they had. I wish I had the job they had. I wish I had the life they had. I wish I had the husband they had. I wish I had the freedom they had. I wish I had... See, it goes on and on, right? Over and over, we are wanting to move. We're wanting to change our circumstances. We're, in fact, it's not just that we want to. We're encouraged to by our world. Come on, you can do better. Better yourself. Try and move. You've got a rubbish job, get a better job. Move on, change your circumstances, find a new job, find something that will make your life better. There's so much on offer. Why would you restrict yourself to something so narrow? Why would you be content where you are? Move on. And Paul says completely the opposite. Paul says, remain where you are. You've got to feel what a strong and weird command that is to our 21st century is, or probably to 1st century Corinth. Remain where you are. And he applies this in a couple of ways. Uh, so, that's, so verse 17 is, remain where you are. Remain where you are when you were called. And he applies it in verse 18 to the issue of circumcision. Was a man already circumcised when he was called? He should not become uncircumcised. I've got to say, I think that's good news. Do you know what I think? Seriously, I mean, how does that even work? Was it, it's, it's more than the... Sorry, that's been an unhelpful moment. Take a moment to clear your mind of that particularly unhelpful image. And what he's saying is, don't try and become a Jew, or if you're not a Jew, don't try and become a not a, a, a Jew. Don't try and become something... Stay where you are. Remain who you are. Stay who you are. He says circumcision is, is not what matters before God. He's actually living a life that pleases God, living, keeping God's commands. That's what counts. That's what Paul says. So there's, this, there's the principle again. Remain in the situation you're in when you were called. And then comes this completely shocking image to us of slavery. I mean, how can he say this? Look at verse 21. Were you a slave when you were called? Don't let it trouble you. That is quite an odd verse. Although if you can gain your freedom, do so. Why? Why would Paul say something like that? Okay, here's it, right? This is the key principle. This is it, right, for today. This is what I want us to get our heads around. You are not defined by your circumstances. That is what Paul is saying. You are not defined. Who you are is not defined by your circumstances. Now that is a big problem for our thinking because we define ourselves by our job. We, t- we, t- we teach kids to do this from a little age. Bob the 
builder, fireman Sam, postman Pat, Dora the explorer. You see, you're defined by what you do. You're defined by your job, your circumstance. Paul says, no, you're not defined by your circumstance. Or you're defined by your marital status. You're defined by whether you're single or married or going out or engaged. Paul says, no, those things do not define you. Because look, he says this, why should slaves remain where they... Why could that even be conceivable? Verse 27, for, because, here's his reason, because the one who was a slave when called to faith in the Lord is the Lord's freed person. Similarly, the one who was free when called is Christ's slave. You were bought at a price. Here is what defines you. If you are a Christian, if you are someone who is trusting Jesus, this is what defines you. You've got to hear this this afternoon. You are defined by the fact that Jesus Christ bought you. You belong to him. We've seen this over and over again in the last couple of weeks in 1 Corinthians. You are not your own. You were bought at a price. That's what he said back in chapter 6. He's saying it again. You were bought. Your fundamental identity, I belong to Christ. I'm free in Christ. That is who I am. I'm not John T. There's nothing that rhymes with John T. I'm not fundamentally John T. the pastor or Bob the bus driver. I'm fundamentally John T. the Christ-bought possession of God. That's who I am. So he says to the slave, if you are a slave, you have been bought by Jesus. He loves you. He treasures you. You are his freed person. You are free in Christ. You do not have to let your slavery define who you are. Yes, if you can get your freedom, then get your freedom. Of course you should get that. Paul's not saying stay a slave like you're some kind of masochist. He's saying no, no. but if you can't get your freedom, if, you, if being a slave is who you are, then don't be defined by that. And that is Paul's major argument In 1 Corinthians 7, he says, don't be defined by your circumstances. Allow Christ to define who you are. You are his. Now just stop for a second. You've got to let that sink in. You can't just sit there and kind of like go, oh yeah. Do you see how different that would make how the way we view our lives? Fundamentally, I belong to Christ. He bought me. He gave his life for me. He shed his blood for me. I was a rebel far away from God and Jesus came to rescue me, to take me, to grab hold of me and to bring me back to him. And if that is who you are, that shapes everything. And the more we can delight in him, the more we find Jesus to be all satisfying and all glorious to us. Actually, that's going to help us with some of the hard things that are coming. We're going to come back to that. We're going to keep returning to that. But I want to get that clear in your head. You are not defined by your circumstances. So now let's take that and let's apply that now. Okay, what difference does that make to married people and then to unmarried? And uh, here we go. Let's, let's turn to uh, look at married uh, people. Don't define yourself 
by your circumstances. This is what he says to married people. This is my first big point. I've got two big points. Commitment without room for excuse. That's what God, that is what Paul calls married people to. Commitment with no room for excuse. Let's go and read what it says. Go from verse 10. Let's go back to verse 10. To the married, I give this command, not I, but the Lord. In other words, Paul says, this is something that Jesus spoke explicitly about. So this isn't just a command of mine. This is a command from Jesus. Here's the command. A wife must not separate from her husband, but if she does, she must remain unmarried or else be reconciled to her husband. And a husband must not divorce his wife. I don't think that Paul can be clearer in those verses. Marriage is a commitment that has no room for any excuses to be made. You do not separate. You do not divorce. This is exactly what Jesus taught. You never, ever divorce. Now, of course, let's take that for a second, because some people are going to say, yeah, yeah, but, 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 but. You see, some people say, well, but what if we find out we're not compatible? You know, what if we just start, you know, we get married and we discover we're just not compatible with one another? I can help you with that. I really can help you, okay? I've got some, really seriously, if you're asking, are you sexually compatible? Then if you're a boy and he's a girl, or you're a girl and he's a boy, then yes, you're sexually compatible, right? You're fit. It's fine, okay? That is, you, you are and this is why the nonsense that people talk about, well, we need to live together first to sit. No, you don't. Absolutely, you don't. God has designed sex. It works, right? So there is, it takes work. But there is this, am I sexually compatible? Yes. But you might say, yes, yes okay, fine. All right, get that. But what if we're not characters compatible? I can help you with that as well. You're not. You're not compatible. I know that. Because you're a sinner, and they're a sinner, and when you put two sinners together, they're not compatible. Therefore, it's going to take some work. And anyone who goes into marriage saying, well, this is going to be perfect, we're just going to fit, our lives are just going to neatly mesh together, and everything's going to be smooth and happy no, you're not compatible. You, you won't. Your lives won't fit together. Your bodies do fit together. Your lives won't fit together. That's the way marriage works. And that means it's going to take work. It's going to be hard. And on the day when you think, you know what? It might be easier for us just to give up on this. Perhaps it would just be the best option. Jesus says no. Not just Paul. Jesus himself says no. You don't. And I I, want to say this as clearly as I can to those of you who are engaged, to those of you who are newly married, to those of you who one day will get married, do not go into marriage thinking that divorce is even an option. It isn't. If we want to be faithful to Jesus. 
And you may say to me, Jonathan, this is very strong. This is very strong. But the reason is because marriage is the picture that God has given us of his relationship with his people. It's such a precious thing. Marriage is not some trivial little contract that I enter into that goes, oh, this will be nice. We'll have a happy little time. Oh, it's not working. Quick, let's do something else. It doesn't work like that. To marry someone is to enter into a binding covenant agreement in the same way that God has made promises to his people. You are making promises to someone that you cannot and you must not break. And if you think that you might one day want to, then don't make the promises. I remember sitting with a guy who told me he'd fallen out of love with his wife. It is the only time I've ever sworn in a pastoral situation. I was so angry. Because I said, how dare you? How dare you? If you think that love is just a feeling that you can fall in and out of, then before you get married, you need to grow up. Marriage, love within marriage is not a feeling. Love within marriage is a commitment. A commitment that says this hurts like hell and it would be much, much easier if we could just break apart. To be honest, my life would be made straight, more straightforward. But that's not how marriage works. And I see oh, one, of my, one of the great joys, I think, of being at a church like Globe Church, is that maybe, maybe, by God's grace, if we can save some marriages now from happening what this guy 15 years down the line did to his wife, what a privilege that would be. I want you to know that marriage is a serious, weighty thing, and we take it like that. Not a small thing to be entered into. But look at verse 12. Let's pick this up. To the rest, Paul says, um, I say this, I, not the Lord. Now, we may say, oh, that's interesting. Perhaps at this point, Paul is saying, um, this isn't quite so important. No, he's just saying that Jesus doesn't have an explicitly talk about this, uh, but I'm going to speak about it, and I'm his apostle, so you better listen to me as well. To the rest, I say this, I, not the Lord. If any brother has a wife who's not a believer and she's willing to live with him, he must not divorce her. See, there may be some people saying, yes, but what if my husband or wife is not a Christian? So for, you might think, how, how does that happen? Let me give you an example. I know, um, I know a couple who uh, got married. They were both professing to be Christians. But pretty soon after they got married, it became clear that the guy wasn't a Christian at all. He'd been saying it to get her to marry him but he wasn't a Christian at all and what do you do in that situation do you say okay well perhaps you should divorce well Paul says no even there if he's willing to live if he's willing to stay then you stay with him and I've watched this woman she's phenomenal she's an incredible incredible woman she's raised five kids She's loved them and she's loved her husband and she's been faithful and it's been so hard for her. Marriage is not a bed of roses. It's not the easy option. 
so hard. But she's obeying this command. If a woman has a husband, verse 13, has a husband who's not a believer and he's willing to live with her, she must not divorce him. Verse 14, why? Well, because the unbelieving husband has been sanctified through his wife and the unbelieving wife has been sanctified through her believing husband. Otherwise, your children would be unclean, but as it is, they are holy. Good. What, what that is not saying is that the, the believing wife somehow makes the unbelieving husband a Christian. But I think there were some people in Corinth saying to the, the wives who had unbelieving husbands, well, your marriage is dirty. And Paul's saying, no, 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 your marriage is not dirty. Because you sanctify your husband and your children. Your home has been sanctified. That is, it's a, it's a right place for you to be. You're not sinning by continuing there. So even, even in that situation, to remain, to remain where you are. And you might say, but how could you do that? You're, you are denying yourself the chance of true happiness. No, because your circumstances don't define you. Christ defines you. Okay, well, here's the question then. Is divorce ever okay? Is it ever okay to divorce? Well, have a look down at verse 15. But if the unbeliever leaves, let it be so. The brother or the sister is not bound in such circumstances. God has called us to live in peace. How do you know, wife, whether you will save your husband? Or how do you know, husband, whether you will save your wife? In other words, there are occasions... When divorce is permissible because of the situation and how it's turned out. In fact, right back in in Moses' day, in the law, God gave commands about divorce. Now, this is really important for us just to get our heads around, okay? So, um, can you turn to Matthew 19? We looked at this last week. I want to show you this again. I know some of you may think this is fairly technical, but I I just want us to get clear... um, what we're saying. Right, Matthew 19. Uh, it's on page 986. And Jesus asked about exactly these questions. So look at verse 3. Some Pharisees came to Jesus to test him. They asked him, is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife for any and every reason? There's their question. Can we get divorced for any reason we like? Jesus says, haven't you read that at the beginning the Creator made them male and female and said, for this reason a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife and the two will become one flesh. So they're no longer two, but one flesh. Therefore, what God has joined together, let no one separate. They ask about divorce. What does Jesus answer about? Marriage. Say, can we divorce for any reason? No, let me tell you about marriage. Marriage is about God joining two people together, one flesh. That's marriage. They come back at him. Verse 7, aha, got you, Jesus. Why then did Moses command that a man give his wife a certificate of divorce and send her away? Verse 8 is so important. Jesus replied, Moses permitted you to divorce your wives because your hearts were hard. But it was not this way from the beginning. I tell you that anyone who divorces his wife except for sexual immorality and marries another woman commits adultery. 
When Moses, when God, through Moses, gave the command about divorce, it was not a command, it was a permission. But let me give you an illustration. When I was at Sixth Form College, many, many years ago, there was a, a step, an outdoor step place, where we were allowed to smoke. Some, some people were allowed to smoke. It was much too inclusive. <laughs> people, those who wanted to smoke, could go and smoke on this step. Now imagine someone came along and said to the principal of the college, this is shocking that you're encouraging your pupils to smoke, that you're promoting smoking in school. What, what would he say? He'd say, no, you've got it completely wrong. The point is, I want to restrict the smoking. Smoking is bad. We want people to not smoke. But because we know that some will, we want to to give permission so that it's contained and restricted and done safely. Do you see the point? There's a big difference between a command and a permission. The principal is not saying everybody after break for five minutes needs to go to the smoking step, smoke two cigarettes, then you'll be ready for the afternoon. That would be crazy. It's a permission. There's a difference between a command and a permission. Jesus says that the the teaching on divorce in the law is a permission because your hearts are hard, because divorces, because marriages are messy. Therefore, here is a restriction, a permission, in order to limit the damage. And so there are some circumstances where divorce is permissible. In the situation of an unbeliever who won't stay, or in the situation, as Jesus speaks of here, of marital unfaithfulness. In those situations, divorce is is permissible. But please don't go into marriage thinking, well, if this doesn't work out, we'll just get divorced. So that's that's the the teaching to, to to, to married people. And if you're married here this afternoon... I want you in your hearts this afternoon as we sing our last song, as we, even as I'm sit, speaking now, I want you in your hearts to recommit yourself to God and the promises that you made to your husband or wife. Why not when you get home tonight, say to them, pray about it together. Let's pray. Why don't we do that? Why, why, why don't you do that with your husband or wife when you get home tonight? What a precious thing that would be. Let's be recommitting ourselves. But let's turn to um, to talk about uh, single, to uh, unmarried people. Um, married people, commitment without room for excuse. Uh, single, uh, uh, unmarried people, um, freedom with a dose of realism. Have a look at what happens next. Right, verse 25, we're jumping to now. Is everyone with me? Great. Josh is with me. Great. Verse 25. Now, about virgins. That is the, uh, the unmarried in the church. I have no command from the Lord, but I give a judgment as one who by the Lord's mercy is trustworthy. Now, I think this is quite key. Here is Paul saying, back in, back in to the married, he says, I have a command. I have a command. I have a command. To the unmarried, he says, I'm going to talk to you about spirit-filled judgments, wise judgment." There is a freedom. You're going to see this in what we say. There's a real freedom. Paul doesn't lay down the law. He says, let me give you some spirit-filled judgment. He says it again um, in the last verse. In my judgment, 
She's happy if she stays as she is, and I think I too have the Spirit of God. Do you see the difference? There's freedom. If you are unmarried here, I want to encourage you. There's massive freedom. We're going to see this now. And we're going to try and work this out. Let's work our way through from verse 25. I have no command from the Lord. I give a judgment as one who by the Lord's mercy is trustworthy. Because of the present crisis, I think it is good for a man to remain as he is. You see, that's his basic principle, right? We've seen that already. Stay where you are. Don't live your life obsessing about the next move, about the next job, house, relationship. Stay as you are. Are you pledged to a woman? Do not seek to be released. Are you free from such a commitment? Do not look for a wife. But if you do marry, you've not sinned. Do you feel it? Don't, don't look for a wife. But if you do marry, then you've not sinned. There is a real freedom in what Paul is saying here. And if a virgin marries, she has not sinned. But, here's the dose of realism, those who marry will face many troubles in this life, and I want to spare you this. <laughs> Jolly old Paul. <laughs> <laughs> you see? So he's, what he's saying is there is there's freedom. There's, I've, got, I've got two questions here to help us unpack this. First question, is it okay to remain single? Good. Let's move on to the second one. Uh, is it okay to remain single? According to Paul, yes, it is. Absolutely, it's okay to remain single. Paul says if you decide not to get married, if you are unmarried, uh, if you make that decision, that's okay. That's good. Have a look at verse 29. He goes on. What I mean, brothers and sisters, is that the time is short. From now on, those who have wives should live as if they do not. Those who mourn as if they did not. Those who are happy as if they were not. Those who buy something as if they were not, it, it were not theirs to keep. Those who use the things of the world as if not engrossed in them. For this world in its present form is passing away. Here it is again, right? Here's the big principle. The big principle is that your circumstance doesn't define you. Christ defines you. You're not defined by the temporary situation that you're in because it's passing away. If you're defined by your car or by the Bentley that cut me up as I was driving here this afternoon, not that I'm bitter, I looked at him and I thought, well, you're defined, you know, you define yourself by your car and defined in Christ. Free in Christ to look down on you. <laughs> but these things are temporary. One day your Bentley is going to be rusting and a heap of junk. An old, rubbishy thing that people want to throw away. Look, it's got wheels. It's so old-fashioned, see? And here Paul is saying, if you allow the things of this world to define you... So when he says, uh, from now on, those who have wives should live as if they do not, that does not mean... Right, let me just be clear. That does not mean that tomorrow night you go to the pub and you say, and when your wife phones, say, where are you? You go... Do you? <laughs> That's not what it means. What it means is that you don't define yourself by your wife. You don't live defined by that. You don't live your life by the temporary things of this world because Christ has redeemed you for something greater. And I want you to know that there is something greater. There is something better. There is something more glorious, more permanent, something that Christ has bought you for, and one day you will see him, and one day you will find in him your satisfaction and your contentment and your joy. And on that day, 
He will define you fully and you will find complete freedom. And therefore, if you choose to live your life single, if you say, I'm going to choose to live for Christ alone, that's good. There are bad reasons to stay single. There are wrong reasons. Oh, I, could never, I could never be bothered with looking after a woman. That's a bad reason. don't know why I said it like that. <laughs> That wasn't, that wasn't anyone, I didn't have anyone here in mind. If you feel convicted, it was not me. But if you, there are other bad reasons, like I don't want to take the responsibility, I'm too, da, 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 da. There's loads of bad reasons. I just want to enjoy my freedom, I want to have a happy life, I, I like playing golf. Those are bad reasons for staying single. But Paul says there are good reasons. Look at verse 32. I'd like you to be free from concern. An unmarried man is concerned about the Lord's affairs, how he can please the Lord, you see. Not about golf. But a married man is concerned about the affairs of this one, how he can please his wife. And his interests are divided. An unmarried woman or virgin is concerned about the Lord's affairs. Her aim is to be devoted to the Lord in both body and spirit. But a married woman is concerned about the affairs of this world, how she can please her husband. I'm saying this for your own good, not to restrict you, but that you may live in a right way in undivided devotion to the Lord. Paul says, I'm not trying to pin you down here. I'm not trying to restrict you. There's freedom, but there's a dose of realism that if you don't get married, there are many ways in which your life will be easier. Many ways in which, no, that's not quite right. Many ways in which you will be more free to serve Christ. And it is no accident that many, many people who have been greatly used by God are people who have chosen to forsake marriage for the sake of Christ. That is a valid, good, right decision. And there will be some in this room who say, actually, you know what? I think, I think it might be me who will forsake marriage in order to, go to, to live for Christ. Okay, so here's my second question. Is it okay to want to be married? And I want to say as clearly as I can, yes. Yes. Oh, yes, it's okay to want to be married. Because marriage is good. Marriage is a God-given gift. And therefore, to have a desire to be married is a good desire. I do not want you to hear Paul or me saying, and I wondered this after last week as well, There is a danger that you come away going, oh man, marriage, I'm not supposed to want to be married. No, marriage, to pursue marriage is a good thing. To have a desire in your heart that says, I would love to be married. Don't deny that. Don't push that down. Don't squish that away as something ungodly. It is a godly desire to want to be married. There are bad reasons to want to be married. Selfish reasons to want to be married. But where our desire is because I want to honour God and I want to be a wife or a husband who loves and honours their husband or wife. I long to have someone to be a partner in the gospel with. I long perhaps one day to have children. These are good desires. They're not wrong. Please don't feel guilty if that's you. It's okay. And it says, says that in verse 36. Look. If anyone's worried that he might not be acting honorably towards the virgin he's engaged to, and if his passions are too strong, and if he feels he ought to marry, 
He should do as he wants. He's not sinning. They should get married. You see? But, verse 37, here it is. But the one who settled the matter in his own mind, who's under no compulsion, but has control over his own will, and who's made up his mind not to marry the virgin, this man also does the right thing. So then he who marries the virgin does right, but he who does not marry her does does better. (laughs) But you see this good. I want you to know it's good. And therefore, I want us to be a church where we we honour marriage and where we say it's okay to want to be married. And let me say to you, uh, for many of us, this will be a profoundly painful thing. Many of us say, I don't want to forsake marriage for the sake of Christ. I'd like marriage. But God hasn't put me in that place at the moment. Can I say to you, and, and I say this with as much love as I can find in my heart. If that is your situation now, don't let that define you. Be defined by Christ. And let me encourage you to pray about it. Ask God. Ask God. It's okay to say, Heavenly Father, you know how much I would long to have a husband or wife. Please would you help me to be content where I am now. And if it be your will, please would you provide me with a husband or wife. That's a great thing to pray. Ask him. And it may be, it may be that this is an intensely painful experience for you. And I understand. I I want to know that I I feel that. I feel the responsibility of preaching this. I find how hard it is. I'm not trying to say that Paul says, oh, singleness would be a barrel of laughs, should have fun. No, he's not saying that. He's not saying that it's wrong to cry, it's wrong to feel it, wrong to feel broken by it. So I want to challenge us as a church to be people who act honorably towards one another. If there's someone in the church who you're interested in, act honorably to them. That's what I was saying about flirting last week. We don't go around flirting with everybody, just kind of going, oh, yeah, yeah, it's like just messing around. (laughs) That's not flirting. I know. (laughs) It's been a long time since I've... It's been a long time since I've flirted. (laughs) God was very gracious to me early on. Um... Flirting, <laughs> man, <laughs> flirting has, has a dishonorable thing behind it because you're giving out messages that aren't true. But if you're interested in someone, then get the message to them. Find a way to show them that you're interested. Talk to them is probably the best way, but that can be difficult. I know that. It's hard in Jane Austen's day. It's still hard today, right? It's hard. But we've got to find ways to help each other to do this. And the more that we can help each other and be kind to one another and to love one another and to actually be, to honor one another, to treat one another honorably, what a beautiful thing that would be. And the very last thing Paul says in this chapter, and we're, we're nearly done. Verse 39, a woman is bound to her husband as long as he lives, but if her husband dies, she is free to marry anyone she wishes, but he must belong to the Lord. In my judgment, she's happier if she stays as she is. And I think I too have the Spirit of God. You see, here he is again. Freedom with a dose of realism. Freedom that says, she's free to remarry. Make sure you marry a Christian. Make sure you marry someone who belongs to the Lord. Don't join yourself to someone who's going to pull in a different direction to you for the rest of your life. 
She's free to remarry. Or she could stay single. Guys, this is, there's, there's lots of stuff here. Um, and that's why I, I wanted to have time for, for question time afterwards. But right now, let's go back to where we started and, and finish with this. You are not defined by any of these things. You're not defined by it. You are defined by Christ. He loved you. He gave his life for you. He paid for you. He set you free. You belong to him. And one day you will stand, you will gaze into his eyes, and you will say, I'm home. And on that day, the pain of your broken relationships, the pain of your singleness, the pain of your marriage, the battling through a marriage which has been so tough, on that day it will all make sense. On that day you'll find freedom. Let's pray together before we sing. Father, your word touches on things that are so um, hard for us and yet so important for us to think through and to understand. Father, we pray that we would find contentment in Christ where we are now, that we would trust you and that we trust you for the future. Um, Father, we pray, please, that you'd help us to be a church that honours marriage and a church that also honours those who forsake marriage for the sake of Christ and a church that loves and cares for those who would love to be married. Father, please help us, we pray, in Jesus' powerful and precious name. Amen.